Bridgestone Tires just rolled into Midas. And if you roll in, we've got an exclusive deal for you. Get $70 back in Bridgestone rebates plus a $50 reward card with paid installation. Shop Bridgestone Tires at Midas.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hey everyone, this is Colin Macy O'Toole from Below Deck Mediterranean, and you're listening to Jim and Florence on the Forum. This is Jim Jacks, and welcome to the Forum. We are still standing. Some of you have given us some DMs to make sure that we're still alive. We are. We've had a, just an incredible last month. Everything is really flowing and going well, and we thank all of you. Last week, in our in some of our interviews, we didn't get a chance to to do the shout outs that we really wanted to. We, our guest was in a hurry, so we really wanted to get this done. So again, we thank everyone, especially Laura Oakman and the Galvanize team. We hope you guys, it's exciting that football's coming back. We hope you guys do fantastic. Our celebrity book, book club just blew up. Kathy Ireland gave us so many thank yous. We almost told her to stop. We almost did, but we, we let her keep thanking us. If you could believe it, we've been given the thumbs up to the great Stephen King. So we are going to be doing a, for his latest book, we're going to be doing another video review. We'll put it on YouTube, but it's just an honor to be doing it. He's a very nice man. And then we have Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, the Fuller family iconic wrestling family especially down south in the tennessee area it's just amazing he's the nicest guy he has a book and we'll be doing a review on his book after he's very excited he's been a friend of the show we also like to thank matt hamilton who came on one of our shows he's obviously the producer and on-air talent for good morning football he's been such a good guy and we support him in everything that we do john hendricks from si hey john we thank you for coming on floors truly he did a great job the number one show on floors truly so far so thank you so much john for your kindness he also does uh, forbes sports for forbes uh dot com and he's he's just an amazing writer he started being a fan blogger and he's become such an icon so we're so happy about that and thank you to julie decaro because decaro because she's been so kind to us she came on one of our shows and she really did a great job it was a lot of fun she was a real hoot and uh, she's just fantastic so thank you to all the great fans we're, we have some more shout-outs, but, but we'll save those for the next show. But we've been so honored by all of you, and we really humbly uh, appreciate it. And the leads, obviously, Emmy Lentino, Steve Leeds, yeah. for their amazing 55,000 views for their latest show on uh, Facebook. And we've been sharing it. We had Steve on our show. We did a quick one. That, that thing is blowing up on YouTube. I, I it's just thank you all. And Steve's become a good friend as well. And Emmy's obviously someone near and dear to our heart. So when you have people like this celebrities that are so good and so kind, and they're so talented, we love to share these people and their stories with you. And we sure have one of those today, someone we've admired from afar and we get to actually talk to her. Why don't you introduce our guest, Florence? Yes, I am so excited to welcome the award-winning national sports anchor for Fox Sports Radio, Deb Carson. Welcome, Deb. 
Thank you, Florence. And thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so oh. honored. And forget Dan Patrick and Colin Coward. I am all about <laughs> Deb Carson. So uh, that's yeah. all I got to say about that. But uh, Deb, you've had a fascinating life. And I've had some friends that kind of had a little bit of the lifestyle that you have when you were young. Your father was in NASA. Why don't you talk a little, as much as you can talk without being too hush-hush. But why don't you talk about your dad and his work and just uh, you had to move a lot. And what was that like as a kid? We did. We did. Um, well, he worked for NASA as well as the Department of Defense, uh, the Department of the Navy and with the Army as well. He was more on the financial management side. So he was a comptroller or controller, mm. however you choose to say it. Um, wow. So, but we did we did move around a lot. Uh, we you know, I was born in Washington, D.C. He had worked at the Pentagon there. He worked in Bethesda. He worked um, at Goddard in that area. Um, then for middle school, we moved to Panama City, Florida. And then when I was about to go into high school, we moved to Kingsville, Texas. So uh, we have been all over that southeastern part of the country, all different client, uh, climates, very lovely people in all of those places. Um, but as you can imagine, you know, you learn to adapt. We have a very close family. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, whenever we picked up and moved, it was just us. You know, we didn't have friends in these places. So we had to adapt and make friends quickly. And uh, we have amazing parents. Uh, my, my father, unfortunately, we lost him a, a few years ago, but still have a brother who actually followed me and moved to Los Angeles a couple of years after I did. Um, but after Kingsville, I graduated from high school there in Kingsville, Texas, and I went on to Baylor. And then, of course, they continued to move. So Joel, my brother, went to high school in, in uh, Clear Lake City, which is where Johnson Space Center was. So um, so that is kind of the, the journey that I took anyway. And then I've been out here for, for a very, very long time. Yes. Uh, now, what made you pick Baylor? Well, I had grown up an Alabama fan, believe it or not. Most of my parents are from Florence, Alabama. And I grew up during the end of the Bear Bryant era. So if you sure. know anything about Alabama football, you know, Bear Bryant was God in that part of the country. Sure. And it was roll, tide, roll. And um, so I grew up as a fan. And uh, when I was in Kingsville, uh, it occurred to me, I guess my junior year, I started looking at pricing of different things. And I presume, presumed I would be going to Alabama. But I realized that it would cost me as an out-of-state student more to go to Alabama than it would to go to a very, um, you know, a very strong private school there in mm -hmm. Texas. And I had some scholarships to a lot of different places um, but I knew that I wanted, because of that love for football and sports, I knew I wanted to go to a school that had Division One football. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the Southwest Conference at that point. So the schools in the state there, obviously, you had the state schools like Texas and A&M and Texas Tech and um, private schools like TCU and SMU were there also. Mm -hmm. But I loved Baylor because it was a Division One school, but it wasn't – as huge as, for instance, UT. I had a, a partial scholarship to Texas, but I think the population, student population at that point was about 35,000 in yeah. Austin, at UT Austin. Huge and school, yeah. The, the town of Kingsville, Texas was at the time 28,000. So I thought, <laughs> okay, well, I don't want to get lost in the shuffle. Baylor just seemed like a great, uh, a perfect compromise because it was strong academics. They valued the whole person. Um, I had good t test scores, so I was able to get in. But they are also um, 
you know, they were and still are all about community service and giving back and, and faith, obviously. Sure. Um, so I, I thought that was a, a great place for me. And it, uh, it was actually, I, I had the opportunity to participate in various activities there. You know, it's small enough that you can get involved. Uh, but it's big enough that you can also, you know, hide out if you want to and and, uh, and not have to be in the middle of everything. So it was a great, great place for me. And I love it. I made some great connections there, had wonderful professors, had some great mentors there at the time as well. So I, my experience there was fantastic. Oh, good. Now, did you know right away that you wanted to go into sportscasting? Well, I, um, and it's ironic that uh, Mrs. Ms. George pa- just passed away this past weekend, yes. but Phyllis George, um, I had always been a sports fan. I mean, I was totally a daddy's girl, and our Sundays consisted of basically going to church, coming home, having lunch, and watching the Cowboys on, on television. <laughs> sure. So I, I, grew, I grew up yeah. in Dallas, even though I was born in, in D.C., so I was always a fan, but obviously, you know, there weren't women doing sports at the time. When I was... I, Old enough to remember, though, I remember seeing Phyllis George on there, and she was talking to these guys about football, just like, you know, my dad and I would talk about mm-hmm. football, basically, uh, probably a little, a little more in-depth than that. But, um, <laughs> but at that point, I think something in my head was like, wow, that would be a really cool thing to be able to do. Um, and, and obviously, I kept that tucked away in my head. Um, Jane Kennedy, of course, ended up doing sure. similar things. But I also knew that I wasn't going to be Miss America or a six foot tall, you know, gorgeous creature, you know, and, and be plunked down on television right away. But but I uh, at Baylor, I met a gentleman named Frank Fallon, who at the time was the voice of the Baylor Bears for decades, very much revered. And he oversaw the Baylor broadcast crew, which was all students. He was, you know, he basically started out doing play by play and he trained everybody on how to do color and then eventually gave people the opportunity to do a little play-by-play if they wanted to. At the time, there had never been a girl who had wanted to do that. But I stopped yep. by, and I thought, well, maybe he'll let me be part of the crew. Not on. I wasn't even thinking in terms of being on the air at all. I was thinking, you know, doing stats or going and gathering interviews. Um, and he asked me, he said, well, don't you want to audition? And I said, well, would you? Can a girl audition? Are you going to let a girl try out? And he said, well, I'm not going to put you on the air if you're not any good, but I'll let you audition. And I I auditioned. And as a sophomore, I became part of the Baylor baseball broadcast crew. And he was a wonderful champion for me. He he never, ever treated me any differently than he did the guys. The guys were very embracing of me doing this. And I, you know, again, I think because I – over-researched everything, and I knew what I was talking about. I think they did treat me as a peer, and they were also learning the same thing that I was. So it's not like anybody had had any special skills <laughs> and was, you know, somebody else was intruding on their turf or anything like that. But he basically gave me that opportunity. And um, when I was a senior, and I was starting to think about, you know, what what comes after graduation, basically, there still really weren't women doing sports. Um, there was a woman on Sports Center, and obviously ESPN wasn't what it is now. There was a woman named Gail Gardner, sure. who was one of the anchors. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, wow, yes. Oh, she's uh, amazing, amazing. And at the time, you know, women were very buttoned up and very, you know, it was all about mm-hmm. the suit and the, <laughs> the, yeah. the collar and everything. It wasn't like it is so much today. But um, I thought, wow, that's great. But uh, and, and I worked hard, and I put together a demo tape. Um, I actually did 
uh, interview and, and got internships at both one of the local TV stations in the sports department and also in the sports information office at Baylor. And, and I love doing that kind of work, too. I didn't really care about necessarily being on the air. I just wanted to work in sports in some capacity. Sure. And my degree, I'm not a broadcasting major. Um, Baylor had a, an opportunity back in the day where you could get a degree through the business school, and you could get one major through the business school, and then the other major was kind of a hybrid uh, mine was uh, marketing was my main major and then business broadcasting, but it was more kind of the management side of broadcasting. Sure. Um, but nonetheless, I, I thought, okay, well, I better have a degree that's useful in case I can't get into broadcasting. So I have the business degree. Um, and, and when I got out, I had a hard time even getting any news directors to interview me because I was a female and they were allowed to tell you that back then, you know, oh, wow. and I, and I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, again, this was, you know, 1988, 89 to still date really myself. really hard, yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, and I remember talking to, there's a man who's still on the air, actually, uh, Dale Hampton. He was a very, very well-known anchor there in, in the Dallas area. And I had met him through the Southwest Conference basketball tournament. And he was so encouraging. And um, I was really discouraged because, you know, I'd get news directors saying, hey, you've got a really good tape, but, you know, I'm not going to interview you for sports. Do you want a, a news opportunity? And Dale was very sweet and said, listen, I want to tell you when I got out of school and when I sent my tapes out, I probably sent out 100 tapes and got 100 no's. And he said, and now not any of those 100 people could afford to pay me what I'm making now. So he basically wow. just gave me a, a, a great <laughs> lesson in being persistent and not taking no as a no, but taking it as a not yet. And sure. I chose to do that. Um, I did. Um, in fact, I remember very clearly there was an interview I had in Abilene, Texas. There was finally a news director that let me come and interview for a job. And he said, yeah, you're really good. He said, um, quote, well, sugar, I know we're not quite ready for a female sportscaster in Abilene, Texas, end quote, but he proceeded to offer me a, a part-time news job. Um, but, you know, I was like, I don't want to do news. I don't want to cover fires and murders. I'm like, sports, so. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 so around that same time, um, I ended up meeting some people on a film in Galveston who was, who were working on the crew who said, Hey, if you ever want to, you know, come visit LA, you know, come on out. You can stay on our couch, check it out, that kind of thing. And I, I think it was a meant to be thing because I ended up uh, coming, coming out here, falling in love with it and moving out here. And um, the day my parents left, as I'm walking back into my condo going, okay, what have I done with my life? I'm here by myself now. Uh, there was a message on the machine from Wheel of Fortune, which was, you know, Merv Griffin Enterprises was one wow. of the places I the resume. And they had an entry-level position, and I interviewed, and I and I ended up getting the job, and and so that kind of led me on my my television production journey. So I have lots of that's, lots of twists and turns, but but bottom line, you know, a few years later, like 15 years later, um, I ended mm -hmm. up finally getting an opportunity in sports. So you just never that's know in this uh, in this world where your path is going to lead you. So not always a straight now, line. Now, Deb, I actually have a background in radio, but I worked behind the scenes. I worked in promotions and marketing, but my dream mm -hmm. was always to, you know, be behind the microphone, have my own show. Now, you've worked with some amazing people, and one of my favorites, I'm a huge fan of um, First Take and of Stephen A. Smith, and I know that you worked oh. with Stephen A. Smith. Do you have any, like, fun stories about him? 
Honestly, I I had a great experience working with him. It was very unique um, because they had actually um, his his show at the time. It was a, a show that was on from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., which you know East Coast time is six to nine. So it was East Coast morning drive. They had mm-hmm. brought in another uh, woman to work with him, and um, and I guess that wasn't working out. And honestly, it was kind of a a just a weird meant to be thing. I happened to be in. Uh, and I'd been, you know, doing weekends and, and was very involved in all the shows on which I, I worked on the weekends. But I, I was in one morning filling in for uh, the anchor that normally had that shift. Um, and as soon as I did my first update at the top of the hour to open the show, he and I started talking on the air. And he, you know, was basically, who are you and what are you doing here? And and I think it was just one of those <laughs> things where... I, I didn't treat him any differently. You know, he's essentially, you know, we're, we're contemporaries, basically. So um, I wasn't intimidated by him. Um, I think uh, in radio, it is all about chemistry, as, as you both know. Yes. You can be incredibly yes. talented, but if you're not compatible with whoever the co-host is, um, it's just not going to work out, you know, and people can hear fake on the air, I think. And I sure. think because we just, um, you know, we were mm-hmm. able to go back and forth about a lot of things, obviously, mostly sports. And we uh, talked a lot of hoops. We talked a lot of NFL. We talked a lot about Major League Baseball. But we were also able to talk about, you know, the differences between the sexes and um, race relation type things. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the things that were happening around that time, the, the Tiger and Elon Woods thing, we were able to talk about yeah. that a lot. Uh, and we obviously mm-hmm. had a different perspective <laughs> on that. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I had a yeah. great time. And, and I think um, I think part of it is because I do tend to over-prepare, um, just because at, at Fox Sports Radio, whoever is sitting in that anchor seat has to be ready to carry the show if if we lose the feed to whoever the, the host is. For instance, I'm on from uh, Pacific time from 6 a.m. to noon. So that's during the Dan Patrick show and during uh, The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Dan Patrick is in mm-hmm. Connecticut. If we lose the feed with him and the Danettes for a couple of minutes, somebody's got to be able to fill that time until we get him back. So that person is me. Yeah. And and I think, um, mm-hmm. I, I think, or I like to think, I guess I should say, that he respected the fact that I was, you know, I was a lifelong sports fan. I wasn't somebody who was just looking for airtime. Um, and I think um, also I was, I, I was to just go with the flow with him. I mean, I remember very vividly, one morning when I had researched, I don't know, I'm just making the number up, but like 10 NBA games and six top 25 college hoops games, I do my national sports report to open the show. And um, he said, okay, you know, and he opened the show. And he said, now, Deb, we're going to get to basketball in, in just a moment. But what do you think about this Arizona immigration law? And, I mean, he was just out of the blue, you know. And so – and that's that honestly I had to wake up you know for a year of my life I woke up at midnight to be on the air at three in the morning so to me if you're going to have to wake up at midnight which is horrible for your health if you're going to have to do that to be in a position where you love the job and it's entertaining enough that you are just on your toes the whole time is it was it was a great thing so I really I enjoyed it so um, it, was, okay. it was a great experience for me. Yeah. So I know uh, toward the end of the year, I know it was a grind for him because, you know, he made his money and still does as an NBA insider. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty impossible to do that when you're having to wake up, you know, for him, I think he was getting up at four in the morning. So he's sleeping in compared to what I was doing, but he was, you know, you can't get up at four for a year 
when you're trying to be out with the guys getting NBA scoop late at night. He did break yeah. uh, during that year, though. That was when LeBron decided to take his talents to South Beach, and, and mm-hmm. Stephen did break that on our show um, So and, and said that he heard that that was going to happen. So it was it was a lot of fun. So, um, But, yeah, I've, I've had the chance to work with a lot of really, really great, interesting, talented people there at Fox yeah. Sports Radio. So lucky. Now, Deb, you – I think you have the best IMDb account of any person that is a sportscaster so on good. TV. <laughs> Why don't you talk about your amazing career in in TV, movies? You have done it all. Why don't you talk about some yeah. things that you've been involved with? Oh, thank you. Well, well, the fun thing, uh, and I'll get back to this. It all started with the you know the Wheel of Fortune mm-hmm. days, essentially. Um, back when I started there, we were doing not just the nighttime show, but also the daytime show. So every other weekend, we were working uh, four days, you know, from, from Thursday through Sunday. And then I was on the production staff. So we're, we were in the office, you know, technically every Monday through Friday. So um, I accumulated a lot of comp days because, you know, I, I was working a lot of Saturdays and Sundays. So because I was, you know, at the time I was young and in LA and, you know, you're just around a lot of things. So you do get a lot of opportunities. Um, so basically what I decided to, to do once I started, you know, I, I had an offer for somebody to be my print agent. I did a lot of uh, print ads. I did a lot of Mattel mom type stuff, believe it or not. So I, oh, I wow. did some oh, mommy wow. type packages. I did um, stand in work. I did, uh, but, but I got my SAG card doing an episode of LA law. And that was because um, um, the, no. yeah, the, the, the show was doing an episode or a few episodes with um, LA law in, on which uh, one of the attorneys Brackman, I think the name was of the character. Mm-hmm. It was Alan Rachin's character. He was basically a contestant on wheel of fortune. So in coordinating, helping coordinate the <laughs> LA law shoot with wheel of fortune, I got to know some of the producers and one of them said, Hey, you know, are you interested in, you know, do you do on camera stuff? And I said, yes. And he said, Hey, do you want to come audition for, and it was just one line. And, and I'm thinking, really, I have to audition for one line, but you know, that was my naive self, not realizing that there are millions of people here in LA that are like, you know, (laughs) trying to kill for a line on anything, but, but they, they made me go through the, the hoops. They made me come in and do the line. They made me go to, Another audition, a producer's audition, they call it, and, and do it there. So that's how I, I got my SAG card. So I did an episode there. And honestly, I just had a lot of comp time. And I had, um, I've had over the years some really fun agents who, um, you know, one of my favorites, in fact, was my agent called and, and said, in fact, this was during the CMA Smith show years. She said, hey, you know, they, they want to know if you want to um, – if you want to do a day on Dexter and at the time I had been like binge watching Dexter and I was like, are you yep. kidding me? And I'm thinking, and they're going to pay me to do Dexter. So I, uh, I ended up doing uh, three episodes actually of, of Dexter, but that was a fun episode or a fun experience. Um, I got to sit there and, and talk, you know, in between shoots that there were a couple of the guys, a couple of the actors on the show were hardcore fantasy football um, fans. And so we talked fantasy football in between takes. Um, I got a chance to work on a show called The Unit. And there's an actor, Dennis Haysbert. A lot of people know him more from, you know, the uh, Allstate commercials. Mm-hmm. But in between okay. takes, we were talking Pac-12 football, you know, the whole time. So 
I just love, I'm, I'm very um, curious by nature and I just love, I think it's the production background and the business background. I'd love to see how things come together. So the opportunity to, to do those sorts of things is, is a lot of fun. One of the last things I did, I've done, I did a couple of episodes of, of Lethal Weapon when yeah, they brought saw, that back. Yeah, 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 yeah that's me? fantastic. You were on the TV show, mm-hmm. The Lethal Weapon. Yeah, so uh, yeah. A, yeah. now I wanted to ask you also, Deb, how in the heck could you be on a show and I don't get this in Hollywood. I don't get a lot of things about Hollywood, but if you, but if you, how could you be uncredited if you're at a show? How come they don't give you credit? Um, I'm not sure. Well, what do you like, mean? Like there, here, yeah, like it'll say you were in The Young and the Restless, but it's uncredited. Right. What does that mean? Um, well, sometimes um, there, there are some people who um, just choose not to be credited on some shows. I know there are some people, um, I don't think the stigma is there anymore. I think there are some people who ask not to be credited on, um, like they don't necessarily want to be affiliated with certain kinds of shows. Oh. I don't think there's any stigma at all. But that's, I did not ask that. I, I have not looked at my IMDb profile in a while. Um, well, we're going to contact them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love them. I did, I did a few episodes of Young and the Restless. I, maybe I'm uncredited because the character didn't have a name or they maybe the IMDP. Yeah. I've always had a name or at least like reporter number one or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But, reporter uh, Carson. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That sort of thing. So I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Maybe, maybe just the people at IMDB don't know the, you know, the, um, the name of the character. And, and sometimes on a, on a soap opera too, they don't run credits every single day. I think they run yeah, you know, they four credits once a week. So yeah. I, on an episodic TV show, you know, like, uh, like Law and Order or like uh, Lethal Weapon, you know, they do run credits every, that, that's a, a mandate yeah. by the union. They do run uh, credits, but on soap operas, I think they really only run the full credits once a week. It's that way on game yeah, shows too. Very so maybe, yeah, true. It's very rare to, to see credits in a soap. Yeah. Did you get to meet Merv Griffin? I did. I did uh, when I was working for Wheel of Fortune. Uh, not very often, but I, I met him a few times. We had, in fact, when I was there, we were celebrating the 10th anniversary of the nighttime show, the syndicated show. And I think sure. now they're in year 30 or 40 or something like that. But but we had a big gala at the Beverly Hilton. He used to own the, the Beverly Hilton and his production offices were there at the Beverly Hilton too. So uh, met him there. We also, when we, we took the show on remote to several places when I was working there. One of them was to Walt Disney World there at the Disney wow. MGM Grand in Orlando. So he That's came down awesome. there with us. He, yeah, he didn't come to the set that often, but I don't know if it's because the show had been on so many years by that time. He probably, um, when they when I first started on the show, the production offices were still there on on Vine Street. And, uh, mm. and they, they moved, I guess I, I had been with the show for about three months when we moved over to Burbank. But they used to be at a building called the TAV building, and Merv, I think, had offices there. Um, mm-hmm. So it may have been different way back in the day. But um, but no, he, he wasn't there regularly. Uh, but Merv, you may have heard this, he got, I think, five different checks for every episode of Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. He got a check as the, as the creator. He got a credit for writing the music. He got a credit as a writer because, believe it or not, back then he actually did approve every single puzzle that was ever on the show. He had to, you know, it, he had to give it the thumbs up every puzzle, which is crazy. Um, wow. And I can't remember what the other the other categories were, but I remember hearing that he, you know, 
again, he, he, he made a lot of money. On Forbes, he's still worth a billion dollars his, his uh, estate. He is just absolutely what a smart, iconic guy in television, total heavyweight, absolutely. Uh, really ahead of his time uh, with that. But Deb, now we talked off air about some of the things that were near and dear to your heart. Why don't you talk to and, and tell our listeners a couple of things that you are about. And again, her website's debcarson.com. We're going to be sharing that, uh, especially question. in regards to your father. Well, my father, you know, as you've heard me say already in, the, uh, in our talk here, he was not only obviously an amazing father, but he was the main influence probably in me loving sports as much as I do. And I'm sure part of it had to do with just loving to spend time with him. Um, but when I was little, you know, he would take me, we, when we lived in the DC area, the nationals weren't there yet. And the senators had already left. Mm-hmm. So he used to take me out to the old Memorial ballpark in Baltimore. Yeah. And, you know, we'd, we'd go sit in the cheap seats and watch the Orioles play. And this was during the, uh, you know, the Jim Palmer, Sure. Uh, Lee May, Al Bumbry, Don Baylor, you know, those, those, the Earl Weaver era. Obviously. Great teams. Um, great teams. And, and, yeah, absolutely. And I just have such fond memories of, you know, sitting out in the cheap seats and him teaching me how to keep score, you know, just on the old scorecards that they used mm. to put in the, um, in the, in the wow. program. And, um, and I think that was, the, that's still one of my earliest memories that, and as I said, you know, we'd come home on Sunday afternoons and watch the Cowboys. And, and again, this during the Tom Landry era, during the, you know, Roger Staubach, Hugh Tall Jones, Tony Dorsett. Sure. Uh, so, um, but uh, dad was amazing. He was a great dad. We were always very close. He also was incredibly healthy in that, I think in his early 20s, um, and I was I was born when they were, you know, in their early 20s, um, he was working a lot of hours and, and ended up having high blood pressure. So I think at that point, and this is back in the 70s, um, he decided to, this is in the early days of, of people going out jogging. So he started jogging and for, for decades, he would jog three to five miles a day. He was always very fit. And even once he got into his late 60s, he would, um, you know, his ankles and knees kind of got tired of the the jogging for decades but he would get out and walk six to eight miles every morning and um one morning and it was uh it was just before fourth of july weekend in 2015 my mom woke up and and he was laying on the couch and he hadn't really been out for his jog yet he had his clothes on to go out for his uh walk i mean not jog um and he said you know i just don't feel well and she said well that's not like you you know even when you're sick you usually go out and get some fresh air um, but he, he didn't feel quite right. And then the next morning, same thing. And, and mom said, you know what, you look a little jaundiced, you know, you look a little bit yellow. Um, and, you know, you know, gallbladder issues are not uncommon in the, you know, in the part of the country where they were raised. True. And so that was kind of both of them kind of immediately assumed that's what that was. Um, but, but on that Sunday of 4th of July weekend, finally, I guess it was just so painful. And, and mom took him into the hospital and he was examined and the gallbladder came back clean. And so they decided to do a, a full scan and the doctor saw a, a mass on his pancreas and, mm-hmm. and said, listen, you know, my surgeon self who has God complex would love to say, okay, let's go ahead and take that out. He said, but I know if I was you, I would want you to send me up to, um, to Birmingham, which is where the 
uh, UAB has a comprehensive cancer center there. So he went up there and was diagnosed. And unfortunately, um, it was already stage four pancreatic cancer mm. because um, there mm. were just a couple of spots on his liver. And, and obviously, once it has metastasized beyond its um, its organ of origin, you know, it's classified as, as stage four. So um, he went through chemo and um, and it was it was really hard, obviously, because as soon as I heard pancreatic cancer, obviously, I didn't know a lot about that, but I know, oh, gosh, that's one of the bad ones. You know, that was my first reaction, and I didn't mm. say anything, obviously, on the phone. But, but he went through chemo. He um, was doing really well. I mean, he was lethargic, obviously, but I think uh, what was hardest for me and still is, is hard for me is that his tumor marker numbers were coming down. And so his doctor was incredibly optimistic. He's like, oh, the, the tumor's shrinking. This is a great sign. Um, but between the time I saw him, I would say in, you know, his birthday was uh, October 11th. So but between the time I saw him then and saw him again three or four weeks later, he was just suddenly emaciated looking. And the, um, the, the chemo basically is, is what ultimately took him because it was the it was um he passed away it was about five months from the time of diagnosis so mm -hmm. even though his tumor marker numbers were coming down mm -hmm. essentially the uh, the chemotherapy just you know caused massive organ failure so so we mm -hmm. lost him in december of 2015 but in november um the pancreatic cancer awareness month was coming up so i decided at that point okay i don't have millions of dollars to donate I didn't know a lot about this disease other than, ooh, it's one of the bad ones. What can I do to make a difference? So I decided that every day in November that year, um, every day I would post something with the hashtag purple for a purpose. I would wear something purple. I would, um, you know, show a wristband that was purple. I would post something that was purple and just to try to raise awareness for pancreatic uh, cancer awareness and, and obviously research dollars as well. And, and I also became more involved with the, um, the Hirschberg Foundation for Pancreatic Cancer Research, just because they really do focus uh, most of their resources on research because it's just, it's devastating because by the time a family finds out or if, by the time a patient finds out they have uh, pancreatic cancer, generally it's too late because if you're, you know, when, when the, when the cancer is still in stage one or stage two, you really don't have any symptoms. And most patients don't have any symptoms until it's already to stage three or stage four. And that is why there's still just a single digit five year survival rate with that kind of cancer. So we're just trying to raise awareness and, and the Hirschberg foundation uh, sends out a lot of money in, in grants to researchers trying to find a cure. They're working on a couple of, um, case studies right now with just a basically a saliva swab and obviously you know we're in a time of COVID-19 so uh, unfortunately a lot of people have stopped donating to their quote-unquote normal charities and they're giving money for you know COVID-19 research which is all obviously a noble cause as well sure. um, but the main thing is just mm -hmm. trying to find an early detection method that's that's kind of my goal and um, and that's that's where I'm just trying to raise awareness and trying to raise research dollars so that we can find an early detection method so that it's as early as so that it's as easy as you know having surgery and getting the tumor taken out or basically just stopping it before it metastasizes so that's uh, and it's that's, taken that's, 
Yeah, it's a it's a horrendous. There's two types, and one of them is very bad, and one of them there's a higher survival rate. But this has taken, and some people will say, okay, pancreatic cancer, but this has taken people like Steve Jobs at 56, Michael Landon at 55, uh, the great dancer Juliet Price, uh, Prouse, uh, Patrick Swayze, Alex Trebek is fighting it yeah. now. So you have a lot yeah. of people that are, and these are people at very young ages. Some of them live fair, pretty pretty healthy lifestyle and they were gone fairly quickly so this is one of those diseases that research is key and we're going to be promoting this and again their website is www.pancreatic.org and this is the Hirschberg Foundation so please 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 go check it out and it's it's one of those diseases I'm in the medical field and it's one of those again that you it's kind of one of those where like you said by the time you find out it's almost halfway too late and we Absolutely. have to get detection. We have to get uh, uh, be able to find it at, at a much earlier age. Now, on a, a little bit happier note, we have the boys and the girls clubs that you are involved with, the West Valley and the Santa Monica. Why don't you give a quick, quick shout out to them and, and why it means so much to you? Absolutely. Well, uh, obviously, you know, the cliche is the children are our future, but it's not a cliche because they are. And mm-hmm. every child deserves a chance to be educated. Every child deserves a chance to feel valued Um, and the boys and girls club um, for those of you who don't know they do such a valuable service not just for the kids but also um, there are a lot of families who are club families who really I mean this is a safe place where their child can be and can learn and can thrive and can make friends so that the family so that the parents can go out and make a living and support their family. Uh, a lot of, a lot of club families have two and three jobs. Um, and, and if the child wasn't at the boys and girls club, they'd be sitting at home and maybe not such a great environment and have a chance to be influenced by uh, not the greatest of characters. So they, they do an amazing job. They, they also, uh, I mean, the chances of, Teen pregnancy, for instance, for girls that are involved in the Boys and Girls Club is drastically lower than your average teenager. Chance of college graduation is so much higher. Uh, and a chance of high school, obviously, graduation is, is phenomenal um, when kids are involved. Especially the, the West Valley Boys and Girls Club and the Santa Monica Boys and Girls Clubs are the ones that I've been most involved with. They do um, a lot of, uh, you know, they, they do a lot of fundraising because they, they provide so many services. Even right now, while the clubs are not able to be open because of COVID-19, the West Valley Boys and Girls Club is providing grab-and-go meals, uh, breakfasts and lunches, so that kids can have food in their tummies. I mean, a lot of the kids are LAUSD, LA Unified School District kids, who would normally be getting, you know, free or reduced lunches and breakfasts at schools. Obviously, since the schools are closed, where are they going to get fed? Um, So the Boys and Girls Club, particularly this one, is doing what they can to provide meals for not even just the club kids, any kid that comes and and needs food. They provide the grab-and-go, you know, obviously in a a safe environment. Everybody's masked and has the gloves on. But but if you would visit uh, www.com, wvbcg.org that's west valley boys and girls club so again that's wvbgc.org um and i've also you know i do a lot of uh, emceeing of their benefits had the opportunity to emcee their they had their first comics for kids this last november 
um, that Jay Leno came and performed in order to wow. you know, bring attention. And bring oh, wow. I, I, yeah, and, and hopefully things will get back to a situation where we can have it again this November. Dana Carvey is going to be the comedian that, uh, that comes and helps raise funds for the, the club. But oh they do gosh. such an amazing job. Oh, yeah, and and wherever you're listening, I'm sure they, I'm sure the boys and girls clubs in your area are probably struggling as well. So, do whatever you can. I mean, honestly, um, guys, Jim and Florence, my main thing, if you want to call it, to me, you're here for a reason. Whether you have a platform, whether you have money, whether you just have kind words to offer to people, our purpose in being here is to help other people, to take care of each other, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can do for anybody, if it's a neighbor down the street who is 80 and, and can't go to the grocery store because she may you know, catch a disease in this day and age, yeah. anything you can do for somebody, whether it's, you know, donating to the yeah. Boys and Girls Club or helping Miss Ethel down the street or uh, taking your, you know, picking the fruit off your fruit tree because you've got way too much anyway and just taking it to a food bank. Do whatever you can to take care of each other, especially right now. Yeah, I oh, yeah. totally inspire and support is what we always say. So we're going to yeah. let you go. We know you're super busy and you're and you've had a long day. But uh, after we get off the air, we we wanted to ask you something real quick, Deb. But we wanted to thank you for being on the show. You're absolute delight, and we are going to be sharing all these things off and on during the next few weeks. So make sure that you support her. And like she said, just pay it forward, help someone, inspire someone, and when you do you better yourself as well because in these days in this day and age when there's so much negativity and uh, the news isn't that much fun to watch sometimes it's you could really change a life by just showing some kindness and some compassion yeah. thank you so much deb for being on we would be you're, you're just amazing we thought you'd be awesome but you were better <laughs> oh thank you jim and thank you for you guys keep up the great work as well we will Aww. thank you so much and stick with us deb we wanted to ask you something after but thank you all for listening we we so appreciate everybody and you guys have a good safe weekend during the memorial holiday take care everyone <laughs>